27, brought to you by Fino 101. All right, welcome to Vino Week, I'm Bill. Hello, everyone. It's Al. We're ready to um, talk about wine and what's going on in the wine world. Lots happening, Bill. Yeah, there are always there, there, there's no dearth of uh, intrigue and excitement in the wine world. I guess. Yeah, yeah even when uh, you know you think it would slow down, you know January, you think things would slow down, but uh, it just keeps r- rolling along, man. It just keeps rolling along. There's always, always some crazy stuff happening. Well, it's uh, funny. It seems like so we do periodically cover these tastings, these trade tastings, and it seems like the the beginning quarter of the year is is tasting season. So they're, you know, it's the the vintners are, you know, they're not working in the vineyard. So I guess they're all trying to, you know, move their wine. Yeah, it's an ideal time to get out and sell. I mean, because literally the vines are asleep. Um, the wines in the barrel, it's all fermented and it's basically just, you know, kind of maybe finishing fermentation or going through malolactic and, you know, it's, it's probably the quietest time, uh, in a winery is, uh, January and February kind of ramps up after that where you got to, you know, start barreling and moving stuff out and putting it in bottle, but at least the new stuff anyway, um, it's, uh, it's a, it's a quiet time. So you're right. We're starting to see a lot of wine tastings pop up. Which means we're going to be pretty busy. We are busy for busy for all, busy for all. But Just remember, uh, remember everybody, we're out there working hard for you. That's <laughs> right. Find good wines. So, uh, first story, Bill. What do we got? What's on the docket? Well, sort of back to uh, one of the reasons we started talking about doing this podcast is, uh, you know, let's say hacking, hacking, you know, the wine world and making it more accessible. Vogue has an article about the 10 things, the title is 10 things every woman should know about wine. That it, This article is for anyone, but it's a great little sort of, as you were saying, you know, what, what you need to know, 10 things you need to know to kind of be competent um, about some things in the wine world. Yeah, it's, it, it's the basics, man. And there's, there's some good stuff in there, and it's kind of got a little humor to it. You know, it says, uh, you know, you're walking into a wine shop, you want Cabernet. Don't call it cab. A cab is a vehicle you flag down when you need a ride. That's right. Cabernet <laughs> so, Sauvignon is not a cab, it's not a taxi. So, uh, you know, it's, it's stuff like that. But it, it is, it's, it's essential, no bones. It just really makes sense. A lot of this stuff really makes sense to me. And then I think in some ways we kind of forget about the basics. And this is a good little basic, basic article. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't have to be a woman to read it. <laughs> right. <laughs> so uh, who's, who wrote that article? Um, Rachel. Oh, Rachel Signer. OK. All right. So um, moving on, something along the same lines there um, from the Missourian. We've got uh, Michelle Locke talking about nine ways. It says nine hacks to help you drink better wine by better wine by drinking it better. Are we talking about the same article, Bill? No. Okay. No. We weren't, huh? I, I think you know. So this is sort of another riff on on the basics, right? I mean, there. Um, this is you know. It also, I guess, this article also has information on sort of how to learn, right? Yes. You know, they're talking yes. about 
um, versus sort of like what not to say in a um, uh, in a wine store in the Vogue article, or you know how to uh, how to tell that a, a wine is cork that's in the Vogue article. This is talking a little bit more about. <coughs> how to access in terms of drinking and buying and storing and those types of things. But it's, yeah, it's got my favorite, my favorite pet peeve. Uh, the first section is learned by degrees and it deals with drinking wine at the proper temperature. And I've gone over this over and over again on the podcast, <laughs> but it really makes a huge difference. And a lot of times when you're in a restaurant, you know, your red wine might not be served at the proper temperature and, you know, make them do it right. Tell them, hey, this is this is too warm. Make it better. Yeah, well, the wine's gonna. You know, as we talked, we've talked a lot about it will change the way the wine tastes in temperature, and you want it served at the proper temperature because it's gonna bring the best out in the wine. As somebody who's, uh, you know, tastes, they say the expression of the wine is optimal at that temperature. Yeah, so if you have a red wine, let's just say, let's let's make a practical case here. Uh, you go to the store, you buy a bottle of red wine, and, you know, this is what everyone does. You buy a bottle of red wine for dinner the night, you check out, it rides in your car, maybe you stop somewhere else, you bring it home, you start preparing dinner, it sits on your counter. That wine is too warm. It's It's too warm. So, I mean, especially if it's a full-bodied red. So you probably want to, you know, stick it in the fridge for 10, 15 minutes. So it's kind of like cool to the touch. And it's going to show itself a heck of a lot better, especially if it's like in the summertime and it rode around your car for a while. It's just too warm. And it'll it'll taste um, if you drink it like that, it'll taste. Um, well, one thing you'll perceive right off the bat is the alcohol and uh, it'll it'll the alcohol is more prevalent and it just still tastes more fruit. It'll taste kind of flabby, I guess is what I'm saying. So the proper temperature for reds literally is 60 degrees to 65 is that's, that's your zone you should play with when you open it. And if you could break it out and make it a little bit cooler, that would be great because you get to see how the wine changes as it warms up in the bottle and in the glass. Okay. Enough about wine. Uh, temperature <laughs> well no i mean it's really you know you can try these things they're not hard to do what i'll just uh, i mean if you want to really experience sort of what type of impact this can have it's pretty simple chill a bottle stick a bottle in the fridge chill it down until it's you know in the 50s you know open it try it let it sit there for a little bit you know, i mean you can um um uh, taste it as it it goes through varying temperature changes, and it will be very clear um, where the t you know where its optimum optimum temperature is because you'll be able to taste it. And and for white wines, the converse is true. You know, typically white wines are too cold. If you had a white white wine in your fridge, and you know, say it's been in your fridge for for more than twenty four hours or, or whatever. You know, nine times out of ten, that wine's way too cold, depending on what it is. I mean, if it's uh, if it's bubbly, you know, it might be okay. But I mean, if it's like a, say like a, a Chardonnay or or, or fuller body Sauvignon Blanc, it's too cold. 
So what you want to do with that is you want to take it out of the fridge and leave it on the counter for 10 or 15 minutes and let it warm up a little bit. So because um, it seems like almost the optimum temperature for reds and, and, and whites is kind of right in that 50 to 60 zone. That's kind of like the zone for both of them, as odd as that sounds. <laughs> You're going to get more flavor. You know this, Bill. If you got yeah. a beer, if you have a beer and it's like not a very good beer, what do you do? You stick it in the freezer and you get it super, super yeah. cold. It tastes better. Yeah. And that's because you're freezing out all the taste molecules. Budweiser <laughs> tastes really awesome when it's like below, you know, like 38 degrees. There you go. There you go. It's pretty. It's crisp and clean. <laughs> it's yeah, true. Yeah. It's true. Try it. It tastes, it, it actually is like, wow, this isn't so bad. Um, anyway. That's why they want to make it cold. So uh, we we got uh, we got uh, Megan uh, Krigbaum talking about Somnier's heading for retail, and this is this kind of almost when I when I saw this headline, it it reminded me a little bit of what we were talking about uh, on our last podcast about the culinary schools uh, yeah. coming upon hard times. It's kind of a little bit of the same thing, although you don't have a whole bunch of SOM schools. But, I mean, if you want to get some type of certification for wine, there are so many out there. It's not even – it's not even uh, – it's, it's hard to keep track of them all. Right. And I, I think that there's probably more people that are certified and thinking about want to be a sommelier than there's a need for SOMs. So uh, that's what this article is about. It's about people just uh, gravitating to retail because as far as an experience – with, uh, you know, I think we we're talking about this earlier about teaching people. That's why people are gravitating towards they like to learn about wine and they like sharing that information that they have. And there's more of an opportunity to do that in a retail environment versus being in a restaurant environment. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's. Um, There, uh, I, you know, I think there's a couple of, they give a couple of anecdotal examples of why people have moved talking to a couple different Psalms. You know, one of, one of which I think was the first person that they mentioned had, you know, worked, you know, they had had a fairly large job. I can't remember what restaurant that they had, 11 Madison Park, um, saying that, you know, that Dustin Wilson was the, director of wine there, he had a, you know, had a lot of buying power where he was based and it was sort of the pinnacle of his supposed pinnacle of his career. And he was like, I want to do something different. So, you know, they sort of embark in the, in the article there, you know, by saying that, you know, being in a, in a retailer allows you to have a deeper conversation. And if you think about what a Psalm, you know, you know, Psalms are wine geeks. I mean, I think you'd have to be a wine geek to be even, well, one, to be successful at it, two, even to, to get up and do it every day. So, you know, you really want to talk about wine with people and being able to have a longer and more in-depth conversation with someone, you know, just makes sense for a lot of these folks. Um, I know retail environments where you're going to be able to have that. And you're probably going to have a, you know, you're going to have a pretty big impact, you know, in terms of education. And I think that's also part of the role that, you know, one of the reasons people who do become Psalms um, do it. Yeah, and there's also the whole idea of the frequency of contact with, with that individual. 
you know, in a, yeah. in a retail environment, you're going to see them more frequently than you would say in a, you know, in a restaurant environment. And then there's the other part of this wage indifference that we're having between the front of the house, the back of the house, yeah. the center of the house. That's also coming into play because, I mean, let's face it. If if you're selling cases of wine and moving cases of wine, it's some. First of all, it's a young person's job. It's not a high paying position. So, I mean, if you're going to be in a position where you're not making a whole heck of a lot of money, why not be in a position where you really, you know, can get a little bit more enjoyment out of it? You know, being in a restaurant scene. Also, if you're in a restaurant, keep in keep in mind that you're you're kind of limited. And this is one thing that the article I don't know if it touched on it or not. I didn't see it. But if you're in a restaurant, you're limited with what is offered on that list. And, you know, it doesn't change that frequently. Whereas in a retail environment, you know, you get five cases of something that's sold. You're on to the next wine. So your palate has a chance to actually um, grow and, and be you're, you, you can grow and you're exposed to a lot more different wines when you're in a retail environment. Because every day you got people coming in with wine saying you want to try this, you want to try that. And you do have that in the restaurant environment also, but you don't have the ability to actually put those wines on the list and show them to people like you would in a, in a retail environment. So there's just kind of, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense for a lot of people, I think to, to kind of make this jump. Yeah. So, so, um, dovetailing on, uh, on the retail experience, um, we've got our favorite topic, our, our, our friends at premier crew. Yeah, they have, unfortunately they've fallen on really, uh, hard times. I mean, you know, who couldn't see this coming, but, uh, they filed for chapter seven bankruptcy. Now, Bill chapter seven, that doesn't sound like they're going to be, uh, selling wine anytime. No, soon. they're done. They're basically done. So, uh, they, they claim they have $70 million in debt. And only, and only seven million in the bank. Oh, that's not good. Yeah, so that's that's not looking good for people that gave them money. That's yeah, for they're, sure. They're done. They're they're. Oh man. So you know the court's going to figure out who's going to get that seven million, basically. Yeah, the courts at some point. The the thing that's a little bit alarming for me, if I were a person and, and I was you know one of the um, proprietors. Is that the FBI is? Uh, they're now fielding uh, complaints, so uh, that's never good. That's not no, a good sign. I, you, you know, you don't want the federal police effectively chasing you down. Yeah, that, that looks that looks that looks pretty bad. So, um, I mean, you I know, the like credit card companies are in it now, right? I mean, if you look at that one article, you know, there's one a credit card processor that's owed, you know, a quarter of a million dollars, almost a quarter of a million dollars. Oh, for all the chargebacks? Yeah, and it's a, and that chargebacks are people who bought wine and didn't get it. So, you know, that credit card processor has to eat that loss, and they specialize in getting money out of people like this. So. Yeah, and, they're gonna, and those kind of people are going to get paid long before any individual does. So Yeah, they're at the top of the list. Yeah. yeah they're at the yeah. top of the list. Yeah, that article that's in the Wine Spectator, they have um, the owner of uh, Domaine Ponceau, that's P O N S O T. He is, um, he's heard that the wines, some of the wines that he makes were, uh, I mean, these are like highly coveted wines, uh, Grand Cru Burgundies. 
and he's he's seen them. They were listed on this guy's uh, this this site of this company, uh, discounted at forty percent. And he basically says, uh, those guys didn't have any of my wines. Yeah, it's like <laughs> I don't know what wine must be for Mister Kerwan. Yeah. So, and this is the guy that actually busted Mister Kerwan. He's the guy that actually uh, showed up at one of the auctions and saying, hey, wait a minute. We never even made those wines in those years that you're selling. Yeah. So, I mean, that's how the whole thing got started. I think there's a seedy little part on the on the backside of this that none of the articles talk about. But there's such a thing as, um, well, you've heard of, of black market. In, in wine, it's called gray. There's a gray market for wine. And if you're looking for some really hard to find special wine, you can find it. You just have to go outside of the norm. And I think there may be some of that was going on because people were, people were complaining about the delivery time, how long how, it took so long to get their wines. And I think it's because they were just probably just looking around and trying to find the wines yeah, wherever they, they were, could find them. Yeah. They were out shopping and who knows where they were coming from. Yeah. So the problem, and this brings up another issue. If you're if you're purchasing wine, and I'm not saying that they were, but if a if a person is purchasing wine on the gray market, you don't know where that wine came from, or or where it's been. I.e., you don't really know the provenance of the wine. So when you buy from a retailer, and you're purchasing futures, the the whole idea behind the future process is the winery is or the the retailers is dealing directly with the broker that deals directly with the winery. So the wine is it's there, you buy it, they hold on to it. When it's ready to go, they ship it out and it goes directly to the retailer. That's the type of wine you want to buy when you're paying hundreds and hundreds of dollars for bottles. Um, if you buy it the other way, just just no telling what's in there. Word to the wise. So uh, we got uh, what else we got? We got um, we got well, a Napa, little... Napa County. What's it's, going on uh, over there? Looks like their permitting department's woken up. <laughs> yeah, started started to go <laughs> and do some enforcement. Oh, we're not supposed to just sit here in the office and then figure out where we're going to go to lunch next, right? It, evidently. Evidently. So, yeah, they, um, it was a Joseph Sellers. They, like, they, they had no permits to sell wine. <laughs> they, when the article said they didn't even have a permit to occupy the building they were in. Yeah, they're, uh, they're breaking a whole bunch of rules. Those rogues. How dare they conduct commerce without the government getting some cash? Yeah, you gotta, um, you gotta pay your, uh, you, you gotta pay Uncle Sugar. Pay your permits. <laughs> pay for your they permits. Do, they do have the ability to shut you down. So they sued them. Um, yep. There's some lawsuits going on. <laughs> An injunction to abate a public nuisance. Well, um, yeah, it, it's clearly there's some wrongdoing here, but there's wrongdoing on both sides because this type of stuff has been going on for a while. The reason it's it's come to a head is that everybody's excuse me everybody's really starting to look at this this growth that's happening everywhere. I think personally, I think Napa's done a very good job of dealing with the growth issue. 
The problem is the valley is it's so thin. It's small. It's a small yeah. valley. It's, it's a small valley, and there's there's really not much room to expand except on the hillsides, and that's very expensive to do. You know, to start planting and 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 grooming a hillside vineyard. So, you know, there's there's very little land on the valley floor. So, um, but the whole idea of selling wine, these tasting rooms. I went. To, I was in Hillsburg, uh, maybe like I want to say like a month ago. I can't believe all the tasting rooms in that town. I mean, have you been there recently? Yeah. There's there's got to be like twenty or more tasting rooms right on the square. It's 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 incredible, and that's what these people are people are kind of uh, fighting. You know, you got the activists saying too many wineries. There's just there's just too much alcohol flowing everywhere. We need to kind of like uh, you know clamp down here. So you got the regulators going out and making the rounds, and they found this guy that was. Uh, you know, not uh, doing things the way that he's supposed to be doing them. So now there's a big uh, brouhaha. He's saying everything's okay. I'm just waiting for stuff to go through. But like you said, they're suing him. So uh, uh, it's pretty weird. The county going out and closing down a winery. <laughs> that's that's. When's the last time that happened? I I don't know. I mean, that's going. It's going on in Sonoma County too. It's just not in. Not to the degree, you know, that it's happening in Napa. However, you know, there's still a lot of tension between, you know, people who want to put in wineries and and the people that, you know, don't want the noise. And there's a lot, uh, you know, the county's taking, putting in more restrictions in place for wineries, you know, can't hold as many, they're, you know, limiting the number of events they can have and limiting their production. Yep. Where back, you know, 10 years ago, five years ago, that wasn't the case. Yeah. And some people act, you know, in the case of uh, Guy Fieri, he was like, no, you're not doing a winery here, dude. It's not happening. Yeah. You know, so it's, uh, that's uh, going on. It'll be interesting to see what happens on the, on the dairy. Looks like the dairy has been throwing a few curveballs also. Yeah, I mean, they're, you know, uh, these people have time and money on their side. So, you know, they'll. Well put. You know, they'll, you know, they'll figure it out. And I, I think it's also unrealistic to have an uh, an absolutist viewpoint that these things won't happen. They do bring money into the county. They provide jobs. So, you know, instead of just having this you know, acrimonious conversation. Why don't we just figure out how to make it all happen? Well, um, some people are being smart about it. Like, uh, for instance, uh, Jackson family wines, they just bought a big property up in, um, McKinville. They're, they're moving North, man. (laughs) There's less, they're like, Hey, okay. There's less houses up there. We'll just buy up here and, and, uh, we'll make wine up here and the land's cheaper anyway. So there, yeah, and they just didn't. They bought at an, at an near an airport, didn't they? Yeah, it was they uh, bought like a series of buildings. I mean, it wasn't a small. Um, it wasn't a small, you know, like a small building. Yeah, no, it was a, it was a, it was like a industrial building park, and I guess the company that that owned it went bankrupt a couple of years ago. <laughs> But they were uh, they were working with uh, the government and and actually they were a, a government contractor and I guess their you know their contracts dried up or whatever yeah. 
but uh, I think they have that. Uh, it was connected with the museum. It was like a water park. It was kind of a, a huge complex. But I don't know what they're going to do with those buildings. But I got it's a feeling. Evergreen, probably... Yeah, Evergreen International Aviation Campus, and there looks like there's six buildings. Yeah, they're probably going to be making some wine up there. I would imagine. Yeah, I wonder if they're going to move their, you know, move everything. Yeah. So there's ways to, you know, like you said, you alluded to, you're talking about people with large purses. Um, there's ways to get things done. Um, and uh, if, you know, my viewpoint on it, if the regulators of a county or a state, if they're going to, you know, make it difficult for you to b do business, well, I would just go someplace where it's less difficult to do business. And that's kind of what's going on in, in that regard. So so uh, speaking of doing business, uh, Gilbert Swartz uh, was, was, is doing some business with Drag, Dragon 8, his company Dragon 8. And he, uh, he was threatening a lawsuit against um, Maureen Downey. Maureen Downey. Yeah. And I guess he withdrew. Uh, but only for 24 hours. <laughs> Oops. Oops. Yeah, no. Hey, don't worry about that. Everything's okay. Forget about it. It's the principle. I'm going to sue on principle as the lawyers are like, that's no, don't sue, don't do that. So uh, as um, you mentioned in our last podcast, Maureen was ready to go. She said, bring it. And uh, they decided not to uh, test her. But she is... Uh, she is the head of Chai Consulting, and uh, what they do is uh, they sniff out bogus wine, uh, bogus high-end wine, and uh, she's quite good at it. She has a very <laughs> solid record of, yeah. of, of um, so, uh, she, that, what, verifying provenance. Yes, yes. And she's, uh, uh, you know, she just basically said, hey, man, those those wines that you're selling, those, you know, as far as the authenticity. Authentication. No, I can't even say that. Authenticity. <laughs> yes, thank you. Sure. It's not. Uh, that's, that's a mouthful, right? Can yeah. you spell that? Um, no. These wines that you're selling at your auction, eh, not so sure, my friend. So he, he took a bunch of lots off. And then when he took the lots off, he said he returned them to whoever owned them, but threatened to take her to court. And, uh, you know, it was a whole bunch of hot air. But it was interesting for a few weeks anyway. Yeah, that's for sure. Very interesting. So our last uh, thing, uh, what do we got? Uh, we got uh, the Zinfandel. Uh, it's the the anniversary party. Twenty fifth year anniversary of the Zap venues. Hard yes. to believe it's been going on that long. I've only been to like about four or five of them, but man, they really have. Uh, stepped it up with what they got going on because now they're all remember the one we went to where they had all the food yes i do it was awesome jeez man i mean yeah, a wine so taste these a, days it's not just like you're going to taste wine you're going you're tasting wine with you know they've got duck mole tostadas at this one wild boar <laughs> sausage or pate grilled cheese sandwiches with zenberry mustardo <laughs> unfortunately it's sold out but yeah yeah <laughs> but anyway but they're um all of these events, they really uh, kick up the food on them now. And uh, they highlight how the wines go well with the foods and give you ideas for pairings. 
So if you got a chance to go to the, I guess right now, uh, the only thing is open would be um, the grand tasting. Yeah, just okay. the grand tasting. Yeah, and uh, boy, everybody's going to be there. If you're yeah, a Zen, if you're, I mean, if you're a Zen fan, th- these are not miss events, and they're awesome deals for yes. what you for what you get to sample. Um, yep. I mean, it's it 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 really is a you know you get to taste um, some pretty amazing Zen. It's it's worth it just to go and taste the wines that some of the wineries are making from the Rock Pile vineyards. It's yeah. I mean it's literally worth it just to go th- to pay the price just to try those wines. I mean everybody's there. They got um, Segazio is there, Rockwall Company, which is making some fantastic wines right now. Robert Gialli's going to be there. Some of their great Napa Zens, uh, Moritzen. Um, with their rock pile offerings, um, bedrock, you know, um, Morgan, uh, Peterson will be there. Uh, Carol Shelton. I mean, just, it's like a who's who of Zinfandel. (laughs) So, so, uh, get old Ridge. Don't forget Ridge. Sorry. Sorry Yeah. I saw Ridge there. Um, so it's really, um, it's, it, it would be a great, uh, a great thing to go to the grand tasting. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's in San Francisco and it's coming up. It's, uh, and you have six hours. I know. Man. You believe so, that, you know, you can, you can get a lot in. Yeah. You're going to be, uh, pace yourself. Yeah. <laughs> pace yourself. Yes. Drink like a pro. Oh, so Bill, have you, have you had any, uh, good wines lately? You know, I haven't really. Um, I actually, I, I take that back. I recently went on a trip, an international trip, and I don't know if I have a picture of this, but I'll have to dig it out. I had a, uh, the wine they served on the plane was, I think it was from, it was either, uh, I believe it was an Australian wine, was actually not bad. Um, like, surprisingly, like not, you know, a drinkable wine. It wasn't like the most awesome wine in the world, but... Mm-hmm. It, uh, um, it was called The Elements by Julian Shaw. It was a, a Cabernet Sauvignon and a Shiraz. It was actually South African. Okay. Not bad. It was on KLM. And then I had a pretty awesome Pinot when I was traveling. That, uh, uh, where was that Pinot from? It was a Burgoyne Pinot Noir. Okay. Lay Ursulines, um, 2013, from Cote d'Or. Okay. Uh, Jean-Claude Bosset. Oh, I'm not familiar with that. No, I, it's, I, this is in Europe. I doubt we even see it here in the States. Um, so that was a really um, pretty awesome bottle of wine. And um, also had a Merlot that was pretty good. Um all right, I, I should take that back. Um, I did not have that wine. That was the wine that was on the bar at the hotel I was staying. It was okay. actually from Lodi. <laughs> Lodi. That's where they're having the... Um... And that was in that was in Copenhagen. Okay. So their entire wine selection in this hotel was all from the Central Valley. Oh, wow. And I did not have any of it because it was sitting on top of the dishwasher. Mmm, yeah. <laughs> Going that back was, to that temperature thing. That was warm. 
<laughs> Can I have a glass of ice, please? Oh, it was like, oh, I don't want that. So um, Half open yeah. and sitting on the dishwasher. Not so good. Yeah. Not uh, not what you want to have. So, well, I've, what else go you ahead. got? No, that's it. That's all I've got. That the elements, I was really surprised. You know, I, you know, half the time you try wine on an airplane, and you're like, "Oh my god!" You never know. <laughs> you know, you're like, like, I need to go to the restroom and pour it out. Um, but it was drinkable. I was surprised. And the Pinot, the thing I liked about the Pinot, twelve point five alcohol. Wow. Yeah. That's, you said it was twenty thirteen. Yep. It was really good. I was like, wow, this is like, if I can find this somewhere in this, and I haven't looked yet, but I'm like, wow, if I can find it somewhere, it's really good. That European climate does it every time. Yeah. Really nice. Well, I have a couple of uh, offerings. Uh, Going south here on the first one, it's called Tension. Tension. T-E-N-S-H-E-N, and the E is upside down. I'm not really sure why, but it's a very interesting label. It's uh, it's in a it's in a very impressive bottle. It's in a Bordeaux bottle. Um, uh, kind of like the label looks like it's got a maze on it, and just all it has is the name of the winery right in the center, and that's it. And then on the back, it's got a few things. But... Um, this is a collaboration. Uh, the winemaker is uh, Joe Tensley, uh, T-E-N-S-L-E-Y, and he he collaborates with um, Alex Garaki. I think that's how you say it. And they're um, that's a, a they have a wine company, and um, it's a uh, it's from Santa Barbara, and it's a white wine. Um, it's probably the best full-bodied aromatic white I've had this year. Of course, we're only three weeks in. But actually, I got to try this last year and I finally secured some of it. You know, a lot of times I'll try wines and I'll go, I got to get some of that. And it takes me a while to get them. But I'm really lucky that I got some of this. It's a it's a it's a Rhone white blend of um, Viognier, uh, Roussan, Grenache Blanc and Chardonnay. Oh, this actually sounds like it would be really good. Yeah, yeah, man, it's it's quite a. It kind of uh, reminds me a little bit of um, a conundrum. Not, and it's not sweet like that, but yeah. it, it, it it's kind of you know those 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 blends where they put them together like that. It kind of has that thing. It's aged for five months. Eighty percent of it in uh, neutral oak, and and uh, neutral oak is just means it's been barrels that have been used over and over again. And like for instance, a barrel. The first time you use it, uh, the first year you use it, you know, it cuts. It'll have, uh, let's see, what's the best way to say this? It'll be 75% less, you know, strong because of yeah, that. It's, it's super strong, right? Yeah. So typically after like four years, if you put wine in a barrel, after four years, the fourth year of use, it pretty much becomes neutral. And it's just another way of aging wine without... You know, it's like another vessel at that point because it usually has no effect on the wine. So 80% of it's in neutral wine, uh, neutral oak, and 20% in stainless steel. So your clue is it's not an oaky wine. It's all about the fruit. Uh, the aroma is, it reminds me of, I mean, it takes me back to my childhood. I grew up in Florida, and it's like walking through an orange, glo- uh, uh, an orange grove 
that's blossoming just in full bloom. I mean, it's just, it's orange blossoms galore. Very nice. Uh, tangerine and, and kumquat. Those are some of the things that I got on the nose. So it's, it's very tropical. Um, on the palate, it's full bodied. It's not a wine um, for people that like dainty wines. It's 14.7% alcohol. Uh, it's rich and savory. And when you swallow it, Bill, it tastes like more. <laughs> it, just, it, just, it just tastes like more, my friend. It's uh, apricots, peaches. It's just delicious. If you could find this wine and you like full-bodied whites, you will love it. So that's my, uh, that's my first recommendation. Great. Uh, my second one is um, it's a red wine from Abruzzo. And it's called, um, here, let me, uh, it's called uh, San Calisto. It's made by uh, Ricardo Cotarella. He caught me, I'm kind of, uh, let's see here if I can, uh, got a picture of it here. I don't have the bottle with me. See if I can find a picture of it. It's a 2006, and it's a Montepulciano d'Abruzzo. Now, what's interesting about this wine is, I mean, what's really interesting off the bat is that it's an older wine. So it'd be pretty hard for you to find, but I, I wanted to really explain to everyone that just because you buy something and people say that those wines don't last and you should drink them up, it's not really always the case. I mean, this wine's got some age on it and uh, it tasted really good when I bought it. And the reason that I'm, I was drinking it the other night is I kind of forgot that I had it in the cellar. <laughs> so it got, it got lost in the stack. But I remember buying um, – I bought a pretty good amount of it, and uh, I've drank it over the years, but it is really hitting its stride right now. Um, Abruzzo is uh, – it's uh, on the east side of the Apennine, uh, Apennine uh, mountain range in central Italy. So it's in um, – it's, uh, it's, it's pinned up between the mountains and, and the Adriatic Sea there. And it's 100 uh, percent Montepulciano. Uh, medium ruby, ruby color. Uh, the first thing I got off of it when I smelled it was like um, being in like a forest of uh, bay trees. It's got that bay leaf aroma. Yeah. Uh, right. Black plums, uh, licorice, and mushrooms and earth notes. Um, on the palate, I get um, black mulberries. Um, it's minerally. Uh, it has really, really juicy acidity. Um, light tannins. And um, kind of a medium length finish. It was, I mean, savory. I guess if I had to pick one word, I'd say savory. Savory, yeah. And uh, savory. if you can get a hold of some of their newer stuff that's out there, it's always like a, um, a, a Gambero Rosso, Trey Bicchieri wine, uh, the San Calistos, um, Montepulciano, the Bruzzo is uh, the way to go. And I'm trying to find, uh, let's see real quick if I can find a picture of the bottle, but I can't. So I won't. I won't talk anymore about that. But that's a great bottle of wine. I think their current editions go for um, mid-20s. Mm, that's not bad. Yeah. And uh, the tension was, uh, what did I pay for the tension? Uh, I think it was like 22 23 22 23 bucks a bottle. And I got one more. Uh, this is for Mary Beth. Okay. <laughs> Pinot Noir. There you go. 
I got her a Pinot Noir from uh, New Zealand. Oh. It's called it's a, it's called One Off Pinot Noir. It's by Rod McDonald Wines. And uh just had this last night, actually. Got it from KNL. Oh. I've been drinking a lot of Pinot lately, Bill. I don't wow. know what's wrong with me. Yeah. <laughs> but it's about I think it's like a fifteen dollar bottle. Oh wow. Alcohol on it is uh, 13.8. You should probably get this and uh, uh, kind of like don't show her the label and just pour it and put it in front of her and see what she thinks. Yeah, exactly. Where uh, where did you get it? Uh, K&L Wines. It's not, um, you know, obviously she'll be able to note that it's not Sonoma, you know, it's not Sonoma it's County. Not Russian, Russian, yeah. Yeah. But um, so it's, it's all about the fruit. You know, it's uh, very reserved. There's not a whole bunch of oak on it. But... Um, uh, it's, uh, kind of a, a darker fruit, kind of a, more of a, um, uh, black cherry, um, boy, um, even kind of like, maybe like, um, uh, a light red plums type of thing going on. Yeah. Uh, mushrooms and it's earthy really, really opens up in the glass. You know, I recommend you pour it and just swirl around. Let it, this is kind of like a wine that, that really excels when it's decanted. And, um, it's, uh, you can't beat, it's like 14 bucks, man. <laughs> You're not going to yeah. find Pinot of this quality, 14 bucks I, in the USA. You're just not. And I don't know for the life of me how they get it all the way from New Zealand to here at 14 bucks a bottle, but, uh, definitely one of the best Pinots that I've had in quite some time. Screw cap. And, uh, it's a 2014 from, uh, Martinboro. It's called Rod McDonald Wines very strange label it's like a guy in jeans it's weird he's got a cigar in his hand he's wearing a red coat he's got a sword in the in his left hand and a hat with the it's just crazy it's some hipster, it's some hipster thing <laughs> crazy label so but uh a great wine for uh 13 bucks i mean that's a 13 14 bucks that's a just you you, you can't go wrong having that wine so those are my wine recommendations all right great so they all sound good so that's uh i guess that's all we got it's a wrap eh it is it is um like us on facebook you can email us at info at vino101.net um we'll leave a review on itunes um click some star ratings for us that's that's all helps get the word out and uh, tell a friend tell a friend thanks for listening everybody cheers Cheers.